way. Marriage, God's way. We're going to be looking at several biblical texts to see what God says about marriage and how it applies to both married couples, singles, even children, as they look forward to this wonderful institution. Why preach about this? Is someone in the church having marital problems? The answer to that is yes. And I don't even know what they are or who they are. I can just tell you, of all my experience, marriage is a difficult blessing. There are people having struggles, whether it's today or tomorrow or next week or last week. The answer is yes. No, there's not anything particular that I can think of, but there are certainly challenges. Every marriage. If you look around this room, look at any couple you choose, I promise you that couple has been through the ringer with their marriage. There isn't a single couple that hasn't had their share of bumps in the road along the way. A um, number of years ago, we held a marriage seminar conference thing here that we did on Sunday afternoons. And it was, um, it's still available on Sermon Audio if you'd like to listen to this, the sessions and stuff. But um, one session I had, whether this was wise or not, you be the judge, but I had every spouse in attendance write three things down on a piece of paper. I made them space out so the, uh, the, the, the husband couldn't see what the wife was writing and vice versa. And I, I basically had the spouses write, and some of you will remember this, three different things. This is cr- criticisms, constructive, albeit, but the criticisms of their respective spouses. And what they were to write was, my husband or wife does this, fill in the blank, but I wish they would do this. Or actually, I wish my spouse would do more of blank and less of blank. Well, you can already see this is a landmine anyways, right? So they filled this out, and the next week we went over it. And all I have to say, looking over the, the, the sheets that they turned in, was wow. Wow. I mean, the, the problems in marriage are ubiquitous. They are from couple to couple, marriage to marriage. Everybody has struggles, and many of the same struggles exist among couples. There were recurring themes. Um, I wish my spouse would do less of X, but they always wish they would spend more time with me. Spend more time with me. Talk to me. That was pretty pervasive. That was relatively common to hear that come up. They also wished that their spouse would spend more time doing spiritual things. Praying with them. Reading the Bible. Reading the Bible alone. Reading the Bible with them. They also wished their spouse would be more patient. And understanding. A lot of these things should be resonating with many of us. That our spouses may have had challenges with us in these areas. And the one thing that 
and this was 2018, so six years ago. But do you want to know what the recurring theme was from both husbands to wives and wives to husbands? Spends too much time on devices, whether it's a TV screen, a computer screen, or a phone screen. This was six years ago. But the problem has gotten a lot better since then, right? No, it hasn't. But these were Christian couples, and these are the struggles they faced. These were barriers to what they perceived, and they were rightly perceived, to be a godly marriage. And so there's a lot more that I'm not even going to get into. But what I, I, I mentioned this just to say that if you look around and you think that there's a perfect marriage in this room, you're wrong. There are perfecting marriages. There are marriages that get better every day. But there are challenges, even among Christian couples. God does not promise that Christian marriages will be free from heartache or pain or disappointment or despair or betrayal or problems or all this other stuff. Quite the opposite. If, if we as Christians are promised to be persecuted, to have struggles, just as Christians, how much more should we expect for a Christian marriage to experience those things? Take two Christians put them in the same house together, it's a devil's playground. Create confusion, create conflict, possibly even create disdain, even in the same house. Hate for each other, loathing each other. So the fact of the matter is, Satan attacks Christian marriages. He attacks them. He attacks your marriage, he attacks my marriage. We're going to look at that more. But in case you haven't noticed, even in our culture, marriage is under assault. The covenant of marriage, the holy matrimony, has departed from being holy. What is marriage? Let's define our terms, first of all. What is marriage? It's a covenant. It's an agreement. It's a promise. It is the union of a man and a woman for life, for life, not until things get bad, not until he gets fat, for life. What is marriage? It, is, it was instituted by God in the Garden of Eden. We just read about that. This is God-ordained. And most importantly, what is marriage? It is a picture of Christ and his church. Your marriage is emblematic of Jesus Christ and his church. Now, when we receive new members here at Faith Bible, we, uh, like last week, Matt and Sarah were brought in as members. I'm sorry to have missed that. But we bring them up and we always read aloud our church covenant, our church promise, our church marriage vows, if you will. And it's for two reasons. First of all, the new members stand up here before you and God and they agree to it. They agree to the terms of the agreement, the terms of the vows, the, the, the contract, the covenant, if you will. And number two, we read it so that you, as members here, can reflect on when you and I also likewise agreed to the terms of this promise, this covenant, this agreement. There's things in our covenant that talk about faithful attendance, Faithful giving, faithful lives, 
faithful conduct. All these things are good, and we need to be reminded of them. We need that renewed in our souls. And so whenever we have these, we bring in new members, it's a good thing to, to revisit that within our own heart. One of the, the final line in our church covenant that we read before we, we give them the right hand of fellowship is a line, and I didn't copy it verbatim, but it, it's close, and this line ought to be etched above every door in every home. I think it's one of the most beautifully worded partial sentences there is. And it says, I basically agree to live in such a way that no reproach will be brought upon the master's name. I love that. No reproach would be brought upon the master's name. Now, when we counsel couples, the elders will, you know, occasionally bring in a, a couple, a married couple, or even a, a premarital counseling situation, but sometimes we'll bring couples in and talk to them, and if there's struggles or troubles, when there are, pastor will do something that is unique to him. I've, I've never heard of anybody doing this before, but it's a, it's a good idea. And he said, when you come in to talk to us, dig up wherever it is and find your marriage vows. Find them and bring them in. Now, if you ask me to find our marriage vows, I would never be able to come to that meeting without it because I wouldn't be able to find them. But it's good to go over marriage vows to remind you of, of what you agreed to and what you covenanted to. And... Um, and this is, and we, and we bring them in, we have them read them for the same reason that we read these before a church membership. And the Bible tells us and warns us not to take a vow hastily or in vain, or to take a vow lightly, but to quickly agree to it and quickly fulfill it. So I grabbed a standard, kind of an old school set of marriage vows from the internet. And I want to read them to you because I think it's very good. And it'll be very familiar to you. It says, Bride, I, I don't have names in the blank, so we'll, we'll use Jan and John, okay? I, Jan, take thee, John, to be my wedded husband, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love cherish and to obey until death do us part according to God's holy ordinance and therefore I give thee my troth excuse me to have and to hold from this day forward that's what's beautiful about a marriage ceremony from this point forward when the bride and the groom are here from this day forward you have each other to have and to hold this is the first time to have and to hold from this day forward until you die. For better or for worse. We've seen for better and for worse. We've seen marriages collapse for what is perceived to be better. It wasn't. Significant wealth increase or, or significant situation improvement. It turns out to be not a blessing but a curse. We've seen marriages fall apart for the worse. The exact opposite of that. For richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health. To love, cherish, and obey. 
And then at the very last line says, um, well, it says, till death do us part according to God's holy ordinance, and thereto I give thee my troth. Give thee my troth. How many in here know what a troth is? Neither did I. I had to look it up. But if you're married, you gave thee your troth. You no longer have the troth. But I looked up troth, T-R-O-T-H, and I got to say, I'm a fan. I'm a fan of the word troth. Troth means fidelity, faithfulness, loyalty, and faithfulness. I just said that. Fidelity, loyalty, loyalty, and faithfulness. That's what troth is. I thereto give thee my troth. Now, when I read that vow, maybe you're thinking of your own wedding, but whenever I read about for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, and good health and bad and all that other stuff, couldn't help but think of some people. Think of different couples. One is Skip and Sally. The other is Vic and Bev. Both of them have a marriage partner that is in desperate need of additional help, physical help, mental help. And it, it only causes me to admire them all the more. And so just for giggles, I would like to reread that. I'm going to put Skip and Sally's name in there. I, Sally, take thee, Skip, to be my wedded husband, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love, cherish, and to obey, till death do us part, according to God's holy ordinance, and thereto I give thee my troth. Do you think they fulfilled that vow? They sure did. It's inspiring. Both couples are in their 80s, and I would say their love burns brighter now than it did when they were first married. A few minutes ago, Darren read from Ephesians chapter 5, and obviously Pastor recently preached the book of Ephesians, so I'm not going to uh, go over that and, and, and think to add anything to what, what he preached on, but I wanted to go ahead and, and run over that again. So turn in your Bibles over the New Testament to Ephesians 5 once again. This is commonly called the Treatise on Marriage. Ephesians 5, starting in verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ... So let wives be to their own husbands in everything. No, I'm not going to preach on submission this morning. But I do want you to see throughout this passage, just like Pastor mentioned, there is this interplay between the relationship and a, between a husband and a wife and Christ and his church. They go back and forth. Husbands, verse 25, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. 
I want you to look at verse 26 again, and you're going to hear that come back up. He might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Christ loved the church so that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. In the same way, husbands, love your wives so that God can sanctify and cleanse them with the washing of water by the word. As God molds wives and husbands together in unity to bring him pleasure. Reminds me of Romans 8, 28 and 29. And we know that all things work together for the good, for those who love God, to, to the called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Same concept. When God saves a person, are they declared righteous? Yes. Are they perfect yet? No. None of us are perfect immediately. But it's a, it's a, it's a process where there's an illustration that I really like in the way that when God saves a person, if you want to picture him as a master sculptor, throughout their life, through hardship, through trial, through struggles, he chips away at everything in their life that does not resemble Christ. Every sinful habit, every, uh, if, if, they, if they've got language that needs cleaned up, if they've got attitudes that need cleaned up, if they've got a thought life that is displeasing to God, throughout, God doesn't just create a perfect individual. Over time, he chips away these things that they cling to. Sometimes it's through very hard circumstances until the, the master sculptor has created somebody that is conformed to the image of his son. In the same way, marriage, as we sanctify, as we see God sanctifying, cleansing his church with the washing of water by the word. I'm reminded of how when I was a little boy, I enjoyed playing with blocks and farms and Legos and things like that. Why, where are you going, Will? This is way off topic. Girls, you might have played with houses. I don't know what little girls play with. But I know, little, I know what little boys think. I remember setting up blocks, making houses out of blocks, or making a farm. And I'd set up my, my gates and my fences, and this little cow I'm going to put here, and I got this little white sheep. He's going to go here. My barn's here. I had everything, and I was slow. I'd spend all day, and this whole farm would sprawl across the, the floor. Or maybe you play with Legos and you're going to build a battleship. Well, I, I, want, the, I want the stern here and I want, I want a big deck on, that I could put gunners on and, and a little cabin up here and a, a captain, well, you know, all these things. And then once you finally get it all done, you look at it and it's like, huh, well, that was fun. Suddenly the joy of building is gone because it's all done. And the reason I even mention that, the illustration I'm trying to create in your mind is, sometimes people look at a finished product, like a, like a finished marriage, let's say, and they say, okay, that wife who has been married for so many years, and she acts the right way, she speaks the right way, that's what I want. And I'm not going to stop looking for this wife until I find somebody just like that. Or a husband that is now mature and godly and all these other things. In the same way, 
the fun of building stops when the building is complete. I think a lot of people sometimes race past the joy of building a godly marriage together in hopes to finally arrive at that, at that, that perfection, that finished product. They miss the joys along the way. And I know that's not a perfect illustration, but when they see someone's finished farm, if you will, and they want that, they don't realize that the joy of marriage is in the growing, the building, the arguing, the crying, the gaining and the losing, and the hurting and the laughing, and the hardships and the sinning, and the confessing and the repenting, especially in the forgiving. That glimmer in the eye, the half smile, the smirk that you know that your spouse knows exactly what you're thinking. Short kisses, long hugs, and time spent together. This is what builds healthy marriages. As a young man, you know, there's an endearing concept of an old couple sitting on a swing out front. Just sitting there quietly. And everybody, you know, especially young ladies are like, oh, they're so cute. That's so sweet. Well, young men look at that and like, that's boring. I want, you know, I want something exciting. This is boring. The older I get, the less boring that looks and the more exciting that looks to me. And I know you, many of you can relate to that too. But the fact of the matter is, the ride along the way, some people are in such a hurry to arrive at that destination where, where they, they, they think happiness is out there and they forget that joy is in the current moment. It's in the, it's in the poopy diapers. There is. There's joy. I mean, I used to like to do things. I always make the joke that before I was married, before I had kids, I got to do fun stuff like golf and snow ski. And then comes a day when you can't afford to golf. You don't have time. You're trying to provide for a family. You don't have time to go chase a ball around for four hours. It doesn't make a lick of sense. You don't have time or money to go on a a trip to go slide down a, a white hillside. But you don't care. You don't care anymore. Because it's, the, it's, it's the, the process. It's the slow ride that is where joy is found. It's not a destination of happiness. It's finding the joy and the contentment in, in the today. One of, my, uh, uh, one, of, one of my favorite pictures that I have, I was asleep on the couch and Perry was about, I don't know, she's probably six, eight months old, and she's laying on my chest, and her arms are flopped off my side, her legs are flopped off the side here, sound asleep, and, and I look back, and I'm like, you know, those were the good days. I'd trade that moment for the best round of golf I've ever had. You know, it's those little things along the way that bring joy, that bring meaning to life, and when you're young and in a hurry, a lot of times you want to skip over those what we perceive to be mundane things in hopes that there's a happiness awaiting us. And so I would, um, I would just caution people that um, so, many, so many Christians, well-meaning singles, for example, they think that the perfect spouse is out there waiting on them. The perfect spouse 
is not out there waiting on you. Perfect spouse is not out there. A lot of times people will dismiss the good in search of the perfect. They'll dismiss the good in search of the perfect. There's some good spouses out there. But the idea that there is the, the ideal perfect person for anyone is a mirage. The perfect spouse candidate is a unicorn. God creates the perfect spouse. God creates your perfect spouse, your perfect soulmate, within the confines of your own marriage as you both submit to his will. That's where the perfect spouse is formed. And not until then. Again, he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. When Kim is home alone and I walk in the house, sometimes I hear another man's voice in our house coming through speakers. Actually, most all the time I hear another man's voice. And if you ask my kids, they could rattle off who's talking through the speakers in our house when Kim's alone. It's loud. John MacArthur, R.C. Sproul, Paul Washer, Todd Friel, Steve Lawson, Justin Peters, on and on. And that brings great joy to me. It wasn't always that way. It wasn't always this way. I, early on in our marriage, I can remember her. Um, I would get impatient and sometimes frustrated because she did not grasp some of the theological things that I grasped. I don't know if it was some sort of arrogance. I don't know if it was, it was just impatience. But she would confess to me that I would be impatient toward her because some of the things that I'd have her listen to, or I'd give her a book to read or this and that, would go over her head. I remember her telling me one time, she said, I don't understand. I, I try to listen to John MacArthur, but I don't understand what he's saying. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And um, my kids would tell you I have a and a very impatient streak in me, like whenever they would be working with the cattle or something would come up and they'd have struggles, and they'd Daddy, I need help with it. I said, hey, figure it out. I'm busy. Figure it out. And I think that's kind of how I dealt with my wife early on in our marriage too. And by God's grace, he, he saw fit to wash her with the water by the word, and what she once didn't understand, those things that were perhaps deeply theological, that were an enigma to her at the time. She now understands, and she loves, and she drinks like water. That's a work of God in her heart, in spite of her husband that was a jerk, is a jerk, often. But she confided in me once that, that she was hesitant and embarrassed to ask me for guidance, um, or ask me biblical questions or theological questions because sometimes I made her feel stupid. Maybe my facial expression or my response. And that's humbling. 1 Peter 3.7 tells us we are supposed to dwell with our wives with understanding because they are the weaker vessel. Not to tell them to figure it out, not to be a jerk and not to be pushing them back, but to dwell with them in understanding and allow God to do his work in them of sanctifying and cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. 
The word of God is where the power for marriage is. Today, her love for Christ is obvious. I don't have to wonder. I love her more now than I did when we were married. And I've learned that, that God's way in marriage is best. And I do not say this to puff her up. I do not say this to bring glory to, to her. She is but a, a servant of Christ. I do this to point to the mercy of God, to the glory of Christ, and how he took this block of wood and chipped away everything that did not resemble Jesus Christ and conform her to the image of his dear son like he did with me. Look back at Ephesians 5. Let's go ahead and, and um, we'll close here in just a minute. It says, verse 28, it says, So husbands, talked about wives, now, husbands, you've got your roles. Husbands ought to love their wives. Husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. Do you know the Lord cherishes and nourishes you as the church? For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Let each one love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Interesting caveat here. Wives are not commanded to love their husbands. Husbands are not commanded to respect their wives. Interesting. Why is that? Because we're commanded to do what doesn't come naturally to us. Wives are, are prone to love. They're not prone to respect. Men... Our, our um, currency in this world is respect. But loving truly from the heart comes difficult to us sometimes. They're commanded to do the harder thing. For the sake of time, I'm going to go ahead and, and skip ahead as I've gone a little bit longer than I'd planned, but Married couples, your task is to be patient. Men, be submissive women. Fan each other's love for Christ and do, it, do what is necessary. You know what needs done in your life as far as cutting back on screen time, increasing devotion time, increasing prayer time with your wife. These are our issues. These are the challenges I issue. And some of these things that I said that I didn't, get, I didn't get to for the sake of time, I had a whole list of things I wanted to speak to the singles that are looking to be married someday. That'll have to wait for another time. But you've all heard of the, the triangle or the, the ray example in marriage. I hope you've heard of it. If, you're, if you haven't, you're getting ready to. Okay. Think of my fingertips as arrows pointing up. And God is at the top, husband here, wife here. And the idea is the closer each spouse gets to God, 
necessarily the closer they will get to each other because spatially they are becoming closer as they get closer to God. That's a good illustration. The closer you and your wife, you and your husband are to God, the closer you will be to each other. But the thing that nobody talks about, the converse is true. The farther away from God you get as a husband or you get as a wife, necessarily the farther away from God you will be getting too. And this is where marriages fall apart. So take, take inventory. Don't coast. Don't think that there's a cruise control in marriage. You're progressing or you're regressing. Always work to progress and progress toward that upward call in Christ Jesus. So just, just a little bit of encouragement as you, not only you that are married, but you that are looking to, marry, to marriage someday. Be encouraged. It is an enjoyable, enjoyable event in life. And it's, it's certainly worth pursuing. So with that, let's go ahead and we will be dismissed with prayer. We'll, we'll invite Don to come up and lead us in singing. Let's pray real quick. Father, thank you for blessing us with the gift of marriage. I pray for each family, each couple in this church. I pray for each single that is looking to be married one day, that, Father, you would provide the right spouse, the right disposition, and the love for you. Bless them now. Thank you for this time, your word, and the clarity of it. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.